Good afternoon. Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with felony violations of our national security laws, as well as participating in a conspiracy to obstruct justice. This indictment was voted by a grand jury of citizens in the Southern District of Florida. And I invite everyone to read it in full, to understand the scope and the gravity of the crimes charged. The men and women of the United States intelligence community and our armed forces dedicate their lives to protecting our nation and its people. Our laws that protect national defense information are critical to the safety and security of the United States, and they must be enforced. Violations of those laws put our country at risk. And happy Sunday. And welcome to The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. It is Sunday, June 11th, 2023. And we're so happy you're in with us. Normally we're here on Saturday, but we wanted some of the news to play out a little bit more on Donald Trump. We knew he was going to be in North Carolina uh, on a Saturday. And so we wanted to see what he, he and hear what he had to say. And of course, I can't talk about any of this without my partner in crime, Val Atkinson. Hey, Val. Hello, Ed. Good to be here. Well, Val, listen. Doubly indicted. Doubly impeached. <laughs> uh, now, his daughter, Ivanka, doesn't even want to use the last name. She's going by Ivanka Kushner now. And she said that she needed to find some separation from her dad, which is probably crushing him. Or maybe not. I don't know. I'm assuming he's a normal human being, but I guess I guess he's not. Uh, in the lead into the program, Val, we, we played a, a longish clip, but it was Jack Smith, who is the special prosecutor assigned by the Justice Department to look into Donald Trump's uh, crimes. Let's just be let's be honest. He's a criminal. Now, I, 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 I hear now, we're not like the rest of the other programs that you'll hear when they'll go alleged crimes and get uh, innocent until proven guilty, whatever, because we're not pretending to be journalists here. We're, we're commenting on this, right? So my comment is that Donald Trump is a crook. He has constantly <laughs> proven over and over again that he, he, he doesn't have any kind of good relationship with the law. And now he finds himself in a pickle again. So let's start there, Val. <laughs> when you heard Jack Smith's comments about why he was indicting, or not him indicting Donald Trump, let's be specific about this. A grand jury in, indicted Donald Trump. When a grand jury returned indictments and, and charges against Donald Trump, what was your first reaction? And then we'll we'll find out from you a little bit later whether or not you think Donald Trump is actually going to Actually, you have to pay any retribution for any of this. Well, as you know, Ed, I served on a grand jury once here in North Carolina and understand they gave me some understanding about how grand juries operate behind the scenes and where the whole uh, statement comes from about a DA being able to indict a ham sandwich if he chooses to. And I understand that now because basically the numerical rules say that you'll have 23 uh, jurors and what you need to bring back what they call a true bill, that is an indictment, 12 of those 23. So you don't even need all 12 in, like you do in a normal jury. 12 of 23, the majority, 
has to say, yeah, I think he needs to go to trial. And they ain't even say he's guilty. They just say, yeah, I think he needs to go to trial. So with those numbers, I knew that some type of indictment was forthcoming. It was no question in my mind. Uh, the surprising thing to me was the number of indictments and the specificity. When I draw back and I take a look at this from a regular citizen's point of view, and I look at this, Ed, about him being given an opportunity to turn in documents that he said he didn't have after it was proven that he, we, yes, you do, we know you do. Uh, and he lies. He tries to get other people. This is where the conspiratorial piece comes in. He tries to get other people to go along and lie with him to say that documents don't exist, move them around, uh, brag about them in front of other people. That goes beyond the criminal in my mind, Ed. This exposes the nature of this guy's character. He is a egotistical, criminal, maniacal idiot. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. And uh, to think that you could have supported a guy like this for president has to be troubling for all of those people that voted for him in 2016. You wanted this guy to be president of the United States. And even worse, the people who saw how he was over those four years, 16 to 20, and turned around and voted for him again in 20. You need to examine your head. You need to examine your heart. What kind of individual are you that would want this guy, somebody who you have to cover the ears of your daughters when he's talking? You have to deny your sons uh, the dreams of wanting to be like the 45th president of the United States. You have to tell him, no, you don't want to be like this guy. But you want him to be president of the United States. You got to examine yourself, Ed. You think that's right? <laughs> yeah, well, listen, you know, uh, all of that is true. But here, here's, the, here's the other thing about this, Val. Uh, there are still people who defend Donald Trump, not just the people who you know, uh, you just made it plain that people who voted for him twice, we already know got a problem. But now they're lining up to defend and support him. Uh, but before we talk about that, I, I, I want to specifically deal with the charges. So let's take a look at this clip and then and then we'll talk about the rest. Photos from the 49-page federal indictment reveal boxes and boxes of documents stashed in a bathroom, in a public ballroom, even under a water pipe. It alleges Mr. Trump told his attorney, wouldn't it be better if we just told them we don't have anything here, later suggesting that his attorney hide or destroy documents demanded by a subpoena. We have one set of laws in this country, and they apply to everyone. Out on the campaign trail. So, Val, there you go. There's a, there's a list of all the charges and all the things that he's accused of doing, so on and so forth. Uh, What's problematic for me in all of this is that uh, one thing in particular is when he is telling people that he knows he can't declassify this stuff after he's not president anymore. I mean, it, it's clear. And then the people he's telling are writing a book on behalf of 
Mark Meadows, which who we're going to talk about right now, uh, and how he's triangulated into this. The charges are serious, but I hear a, a, a whole cacophony of people on the right who keep saying that this is uh, some sort of weaponization of the Justice Department. And they, they're fond of bringing up that Hillary Clinton didn't get uh, prosecuted for her whatever uh, with the email server. And and I will tell you guys, the email server uh, was not an issue, but it's made up. They keep talking about Hunter Biden. And I'm not going to even go into those things in detail because they're not the same. Not even Mike Pence and Joe Biden having uh, classified documents in their possession because Here's the difference, Val. When you when you see and listen to that list of things he's been accused of, he was openly bragging to people that he had these things, that he knew he couldn't declassify them. He also knew that it was a problem having them in the first place because he moved them around, right? He tried to hide the fact, and he lied about it. So here's the question then. How dangerous... Is Donald Trump still? I don't. I don't believe he he's turned over everything still to this day. I think he probably made deals with the Saudis to uh, uh, exchange information that they probably have, you know, maybe given him a break on his loans for <laughs> that he can't pay back the five hundred million dollars he owes them that he can't pay back. How dangerous still is Donald Trump, even with this indictment? Donald Trump is still very dangerous, but I want to go to a, a statement made by one of Donald Trump's significance, uh, Bill Barr, that he just made that statement uh, earlier today or late last night when he said Trump is toast if even half of the things mentioned in the indictment are true. Trump is toast. This is coming from Bill Barr, the guy who wrote the 19-page letter, letter telling Trump how he can make the presidency a unitarian presidency, uh, almost a blueprint for how you can turn a democracy into an autocracy. Uh, he's saying Trump is toast. I agree with Bill Barr. I want to go out on the limb. I agree with Bill Barr that this is the one thing that if Trump is not able to really do a Houdini and escape from in some miraculous way, that this will lead to almost to his irrelevancy. Because again, as you and I talk all the time, Ed, Trump did not by himself get people in the American electorate to think that he was some political guru and convince them to with go to cast aside people who spent their entire life in politics knows more about politics than Trump will ever, ever, ever know. Trump didn't do this himself. We have to remember that Trump is the product of something we used to call the Tea Party that was looking for a leader. Trump showed that he had leadership characteristics 
Trump showed that he could be the bull in the china shop when they needed one. And they are the ones that scare Republicans to death right now today as we speak by threatening to primary them if they don't support Donald Trump. That's the guy with the golden key in his pocket. It's the Tea Party guy. That's the guy that's making all these Republicans do a dance, do a jig that we can't even identify anymore. And that's the guy that we are going to have to concentrate on, come up with a strategy for, if we ever want to get the United States of America back to some sense of uh, sanity and morality after Donald Trump. Because as Bill Barr says, Trump is toast. What do we do then? Too many people have put themselves in a little box that once Trump is toast and he no longer can do anything to us or for us or with us, then everything's fine. No, you still got the Tea Party you got to deal with. And just as they found Donald Trump, they can find Donald Trump 2.0 or somebody else to carry out their bidding. Yeah. I think we're in serious trouble. Steve. Yeah. I I, I do too, and, and because it, it only takes a few people uh, to uh, make this thing go south, right? We saw what happened on one six, and we still got fallout from that that has to be dealt with. I mean, uh, right now um, Georgia still has charges pending, right? That are state mm -hmm. charges, and, and so on and so forth. And, and and I think Jack Smith still has another shoe to drop on those one six charges on the federal level. Uh, folks, I want to remind you, you're watching The Deal or you listen to it on the podcast. Uh, it's Sunday. We're, we're here on a different day because we wanted to give it a little day to bake in because there was so much stuff happening with Donald Trump. Uh, it's historic. And, 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 and I don't want anybody to think any different. However, the Republicans, Val, have lined up to say that this is some sort of extrajudicial thing that the Justice Department has been weaponized or whatever. And they keep saying that the Joe Biden Justice Department. Well, guess what, Val? The, the, the aforementioned Bill Barr used to run the Trump Justice Department. And he did not bring charges against Hunter Biden. He didn't bring charges against Hillary Clinton. And he had every opportunity to, but there was nothing there. And they know that. And, and, and but they, they are depending on those people that you talked about earlier who won't spend any time reading the indictment. They won't read what Jack Smith has, but Jack Smith said, please go read it. But they also won't acknowledge that there were investigations into Hunter Biden, who, by the way, is not a <laughs> government official like Jared Kushner and Ivanka were. They, they, they technically worked in the White House. Jared Kushner couldn't even get a secret clearance, right? But they still let him see secret documents. He supposedly negotiated the uh, peace deal in the Middle East. They made him over, over that. And then he walked away with $2 billion, Val, when the Trump administration was over. So th there's a lot of problems here. There's a lot of things, you know, that I hope Jack Smith has an airtight case, uh, but, you know, I, we don't know. So here's the next piece. This is Lindsey Graham. 
who I can't figure out to save my life, when when he said that Donald Trump was going to ruin the Republican Party five years ago. But this is him this morning on George Stephanopoulos on ABC. You've made you've made you've made your point, but you, you also said something that I believe is not true based on what's in the indictment. You said that he did not disseminate any of this okay. information. In fact, there's an audio tape in the indictment where he's talking about the secret information, saying he knows it's secret, knows it's not declassified. Okay, let's let's talk about that. I don't know what happened. I haven't heard the audio, but look at who's been charged under Espionage Act. Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, Chelsea Manning, people who turn over classified information to news organizations to hurt the country or provide it to a foreign power. That did not happen here. J Donald Trump, you may hate his guts, but he is not a spy. He did not commit, commit espionage. What he did is very similar, in my view, to what Hillary Clinton did. People in the. So, Val, Lindsay is almost in tears again. He's saying, he's saying that he can't believe what's happening to Donald Trump. He can't believe how the Justice Department has been weaponized. He's an attorney, for God's sake. Lindsey Graham is supposed to be. And he's be. also a U.S. senator who's trying to run for re-election. Right. So we say all of that to say that Lindsey Graham, there's a whole bunch of other people like Lindsey Graham. He's not the only one. But Val, have you been able to figure out what, I know it's speculation on our part, but what in the world could Donald Trump have on Lindsey Graham to make him go from this man is going to be the ruination of the Republican Party to, I mean, he's like the one of the most vociferous supporters of Donald Trump. What's up with Lindsey Graham? Well, it's just simple. Donald Trump just reminded, gave Lindsey Graham a basic math tutorial lesson. He said, listen, Lindsey Graham, the people that support and love me are the same people you need to vote for you in the primary. Here is a math sheet. Take away all of those people in the primary that love and support me and see how many you have left and tell me, this is a math question, Mr. Graham, tell me if you have enough votes to get out of the primary. And Graham looks at it and says, oh, I'll be damned. <laughs> I lose the primary if I'm not supporting Donald Trump. Okay, that solves it. I love Donald Trump. He's the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> He's the man. It's as simple as that, Ed. Yeah. What else does, tell me, what lifestyle does Lindsey Graham promulgate? What does he do? Is he an avid golfer? Does he take his kids to uh, long vacations? Is he in some kind of book club with his wife? Uh, what kind of friends do, do, does he have? Hey, Lindsey Graham is nothing but a U.S. senator. That's it. He has no other life. That's his whole life. Kids. Nothing. So if you take that away from him, you are taking everything away from him. So all Donald Trump's got to do, hell, I could have played Donald Trump, says, hey, man, do the math. If you don't support me, your whole life is gone. You yeah. are no longer a U.S. senator. I'll make sure of it. I'll tell my people not only not to vote for you, but to tell their friends not to vote for you. Now, what are you going to do about that?
And so now what does Lindsey Graham do? He does the smart thing as far as those kind of people are concerned. He wants to continue to live. He only has one life. That is the life of a U.S. senator. He needs to be able to uh, positively negotiate the primary in the Republican Party. Yeah. So he probably, let me put it this way, I would not be surprised to learn if, in fact, Lindsey Graham actually hates Donald Trump. But Lindsey Graham is doing what he's doing now to protect Lindsey Graham. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, Ralph. Hey, you know what? Uh, I hear some music, so we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about this because I think it, it's it's historic uh, on a lot of different levels. And i got a whole bunch of other questions for you, Val. I'm going to make you play history professor in the next segment. So stay right there. We'll be right back after this message. Hi, my name is Sherelle James, and I am CEO and co-owner of My Local CFO. We provide outsourced fractional CFO services, and what that means is that as a business owner, you are good at what you do, but sometimes not so good when it comes to the numbers. And so we handle that for you. We help you understand what your numbers are saying so that you can make better strategic decisions as well as help you budget and forecast so you know where you're going for the future. So the client experience here at My Local CFO, from the time they call us or they walk through our door asking us about the services that we have is a family-oriented one. One that we want them to be at ease and relaxed because we know when you're dealing with your finances, that's a stressful place. Hello, I my know. name is Derek James. I am the co-owner of My Local CFO. A client may need My Local CFO services because we're kind of the bridge between an average bookkeeper and your yearly visit with your CPA. My local CFO works with our clients not only to meet their needs, but to exceed their needs. If you're just starting a business, there is no way possible that you can stay on top of the financials, take care of the marketing, perform the work. You need a competent team that can help you to stay on top of your financial situation. My local CFO is it. My local CFO fits a niche that's in today's small business climate. Uh, people need good accounting, but they don't need full-time accountants. My Local CFO, financial solutions for a stronger future. And welcome back to our second segment of the deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson. And uh, we're chopping it up about um, Val's favorite president, number 45, Donald Trump. And, and Val, before we went on break, I said that I was going to make you put on your history professor hat. And I haven't prompted you for any of this because I know you can talk extemporaneously. That's the word of the day. Ding, 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 ding. Word of the day. Extemporaneously about nearly everything in U.S. history. And I want you to get, talk some history about uh, another Republican president, Richard Nixon. Right. Uh, Richard Nixon was smart enough to leave office. Uh, he also had people from the Republican Party who went up to the White House and said, you got to, your ass got to go, right? We, we, we don't, we, you know, we, we have no more use for you or whatever. Uh, and the Republican Party stayed intact. Uh, they lost, you know, Gerald Ford was in there, gave an opening for Jimmy Carter, but they actually immediately came back and won again, right, with Ronald Reagan. It, they weren't out of power very long. And then Ronald Reagan won two terms. And then the Bushes can't come along. 
or whatever. So it did not hurt the Republicans, really, to, in my book, as much as it should have. It should have shown the corruption of the Republican Party. Now, here's, here's my history question. Uh, what What is different historically about this time than in 1970s, mid-1970s, that uh, it seems to be that the Republican Party is actually may fracture this time, but but they're still holding on to Donald Donald Trump. Where when Nixon, you know, is it because Nixon walked away? Is it because he he took the advice to go, you know, sit in San San Clemente and not be involved in Republican politics anymore? Or is it or is it really that Donald Trump is just such a narcissist? He can't get himself out of this. So he's going to drag the whole party down. And then here's the second part of it. So uh, what's different historically about the two time periods that you think is keeping the Republican Party intact for right now? But could it splinter? And will, can we see a third party emerge in this election because Donald Trump won't leave? Um. First of all, let, let, let me approach this from the similarities, uh, how Nixon was, the followers of Nixon were only out of power for four years with Jimmy Carter. And Reagan came in right after that. Nixon had a long history of doing nothing but seeking power, as we know. Uh, all the way from when he was in the uh, California legislature and all of the uh, times he aspired to be president and finally got hooked up with Dwight D. Eisenhower as his uh, assistant, as his uh, VP. The thing that Nixon had going for him or decided to use was something called the Southern Strategy. The Southern strategy was not invented by Nixon, but it was something that was always laying around. Nobody wanted to use it. It was like a third rail. It was toxic. It was nuclear. And we knew whoever bought that out may win, but you are exposing the whole country to something that the country may not be ready for. You could be igniting or exciting uh, uh, a second civil war here. The Southern strategy was something that allowed white people to think of themselves as superior and others as inferior. And that being a reason for them to support conservative candidates. And they went bonkers. They won. And the only reason they got him out of there is because of the tapes and Goldwater and other people going up to the uh, White House saying, hey, you don't have the votes in the Senate. You, if, you, if you try to continue this, uh, the House is going to impeach you and the votes in the Senate are going to remove you from office. So you, you, you got to go. So he left because of that. Uh, not that he had some weird strategy or whatever, but he was smart enough to make a deal with uh, Gerald Ford to say, I'm leaving, but I want a pardon because I know they're going to come after me later. Uh, 
and sure enough, he got a pardon. They tried to come after him. They couldn't do anything about that. But the country had been, the whole genie had come out of the bottle, the genie of Southern strategy had come out of the bottle and now was just sitting around waiting for somebody else to pick that up. Ronald Reagan and his boys came right in and said, yeah, uh, we like what we see about the Southern strategy. Where did he go, Ed, the first place when he started this campaign? Neshoba County, uh, Mississippi. Alabama, I'm sorry. Neshoba County, where he talked about what? The 1964 murders, civil rights, voting rights, the whole thing. So people saw at that time that Reagan was on the side of all of those people that Nixon liked because of the Southern strategy and whatever. And he had four years, eight years, turned it over to his VP, had another four years. What it was, was somebody having the audacity to let the genie out of the bottle. What is the equivalent here now? Donald Trump had the audacity to let the white supremacy genie out of the bottle and talk about it in front of everybody and not be ashamed of it and talk about black people as though they were not uh, did not exist or were inferior. He had the audacity to do all of that. That gave other people, proud boys, oath keepers, three percenters, that gave them the audacity to start doing things that now we got a guy who ain't afraid to say what we've been thinking. Well, we couldn't say out loud at the dinner table. So th that's what those two movements, those two time frames, periods, had in common with one another. And that's why they kept winning. And people like us, progressives, liberals, Democrats, whatever you want to call us, that are on the opposite side of that, we are not going to be able to win or abate or stop that movement until we realize who the real culprit is. And it's not Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. It's the yeah, people right. who put Donald Trump into power. Mm -hmm. you know? And we've yeah. already seen that happen. It was not Richard Nixon, because after he was removed from power, the movement was still around and Reagan gets elected. Right, right. The message For was still turns. there. Yeah. But, you know, we're fighting the wrong thing and we haven't learned a lesson yet. We didn't learn anything from Nixon, that Nixon wasn't the problem. He was the symptom. Right. And now we got Trump here treating him as though he's the problem. He's not. He is the symptom. And after he goes away, the Tea Party, whatever you want to call him, they're still going to be here and you're still going to have to fight him. Yeah. So the second part of that is uh, about fracturing yeah. of the Republican Party. But hold on a second. Third party, yeah. Yeah. Let, let me play a clip of somebody who could help fracture this. This is Chris Christie announcing that he's going to run for president. But I don't want to say his name because for these other pretenders, he is, for those of you who read the Harry Potter books, like Voldemort. He is he who shall not be named. Well, let me be clear, in case I have not been already. The person I am talking about who is obsessed with the mirror
who never admits a mistake, who never admits a fault, and who always finds someone else and something else to blame for whatever goes wrong, but finds every reason to take credit for anything that goes right is Donald Trump. And if we don't have that conversation with you, we don't deserve to ask for your vote. We don't deserve the mantle of leadership. We don't deserve to have you think of us as people worthy of leadership. So, so Val, here's the deal. Chris Christie is not likely to get the nomination for the Republicans. He and Asa Hutchinson are probably the, the two that speak most directly about why Donald Trump is dangerous, why he shouldn't be president, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they also haven't been any of those people who've signed up for this thing that there's a there's a, a weaponization of the Justice Department, I think, because both of them have been federal prosecutors, right? Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie. That's their background. They know that this is not a weaponization from the Justice Department, right? And they also know how dangerous Donald Trump is. So, uh, so I'll say it. Uh, I'll ask again: Is there a chance that there'll be a fracturing of either the Democrat Party or the Republican Party because of this person, Donald Trump, which you rightly acknowledge is not the reason for this? What the reason is, is the philosophy of white supremacy is the real reason. But could either somebody like Asa Hutchinson or Chris Christie cause a fracture enough to make a third party candidate possible? My honest opinion is no. <laughs> it took me a long time to say that, it, but uh, I don't think so because the people that we are dealing with here, they don't make decisions on logic or practicality. They are not very pragmatic people, okay? And that is our best approach. Uh, that's how we've been trained as human beings, as scholars, as educated people. Uh, and uh, they put up deaf ears uh, to all of these practical arguments that we put forth. And so they can't be moved off of their position uh, by a Chris Christie or H. Hutchinson by telling them, hey, can't you see that this is where the Demo uh, Republican Party is going to go? Can't you see there's a better path over here? Can't and, you know, th they might as well be speaking some foreign language because the people who are in charge of making decisions to bring about a third party, they ain't earning none of it. Yeah. And it it's not enough people, I don't think, uh, what would you call them, independents uh, or whatever, there are not enough people to make a third party that would be viable. Uh, you need a certain amount of signatures, first of all, in order to get somebody on the ballot, first of all, to even run there are other uh, requirements uh, and conditions to be met uh, to come up with a third party. You just can't say, uh, we're going to start a third party in the name of it is X. Can't do that. You have to be viable. So 
I don't think that if there were a group of people that logically and practically felt that they had the right candidate, but they were willing to listen to an alternative argument, then I'd say, yes, there's a possibility. But that's not the case here. Yeah, yeah. These people have said, this is what we want. And if it destroys the country, that's okay with us because we don't want to be a part of this country. Anyway, <laughs> right. That's the way it's yeah. running. So yeah. I don't know why you keep talking, trying to convince me to be a part of this country. Yeah. You know? Well, there so you the go. answer is no. Well, there you go. So uh, look, we're going to take another break. But uh, in the break, uh, you'll see a clip of Donald Trump. He was in North Carolina last night. We're, we're done talking about him for today, by the way, folks. Uh, but he was in North Carolina last night, so on the way out, you'll see that. Also, in the break, you'll see a clip. There's two anniversaries this weekend, the, the murder of Maker Evers. Uh, so uh, we like to give you some history, so there'll be a clip about Maker Evers. And also, it's the anniversary of George Wallace standing in the courthouse, do- in the schoolhouse door 60 years ago. Think about that, Val. It's only been 60 years since that happened when George Wallace stood in the schoolhouse door and say that Negroes shouldn't be uh, accepted at the University of Alabama. So you'll see those two clips. So stay right there. We'll be right back after this. Flying between campaign speeches last night, Trump told Politico, I'll never leave. Look, if I would have left, I would have left prior to the original race in 2016. On Fox News Sunday, former Attorney General Bill Barr said the charges alleging his former boss mishandled classified documents are very serious. I, I do think we have to wait and see what the defense uh, says and, and, and what proves to be true. But I do think if even half of it is true, then he's toast. I mean, it's a, it's a, pretty, it's a very detailed indictment, uh, and it's very, very damning. There are no legal bar to Trump's running for office while he's on trial or even as a convicted felon. He'll be arraigned in a federal courtroom in Miami on Tuesday. It was hot in Tuscaloosa this morning, very hot, nearly 100 degrees, and it was humid. And weather merely to serve to add to the tense atmosphere on the campus of the University of Alabama. This is what happened as Nicholas Katzenbach, accompanied by two federal marshals, left their car and approached Governor Wallace standing in the schoolhouse door. The two Negro students, Vivian Malone and Jimmy A. Hood, stayed in the car. The time was about 12.47 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Just a minute. Just a minute. I am the Deputy Attorney General of the United States. I am here to, accompanied by the United States Attorney for the Northern District of Alabama, and by the Marshal for the Northern District of Alabama, and I have with me here proclamation signed by the President of the United States, which calls upon you to cease obstruction to justice in this state. Proclamation, Governor, was signed by the President within the last hour. Do hereby denounce and forbid this illegal and unwarranted action by the central government. Governor Wallace, I take it from that uh, statement that uh, you are going to stand in that door and that you are not going to carry out the orders of uh, this court, and that you are going to resist us from doing so. Is that correct? I stand upon the statement. Stand upon that statement. Governor, I'm not interested in a show. I don't know what the purpose of the show is. 
I am interested in the orders of these courts being enforced. That is my only responsibility here. This court are enforced. The consequences of your stand must rest with you. The choice is yours. I would ask you once again to responsibly step aside. And if you do not, I'm going to assure you that the orders of those courts will be enforced. Two students who simply seek an education on this campus are presently on the campus. They have a right to be here, protected by that court order. National, state, and city figures, including the one and the only Miss Morley Evers in attendance Thursday. All this as the week celebrates the life and legacies of the Evers, two leaders in the civil rights movement. I never could quite understand how that man felt so seriously strong and good about the state of Mississippi. And I would ask him, how can you? And his answer was always, how can't I? And welcome back to our third and final segment of the deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson. We've been trying to talk about this Donald Trump thing. And I know people probably say, well, there's been discussion about it ad nauseum, right, Val? However, we're talking about it in a different way. And I hope you understand why we do the deal in the first place. Yeah, it's that we want to give you sort of an unbiased view. I mean, Tiffany Cross got let go from MSNBC, which is supposed to be the liberal network, right? You know, uh, Melissa Harris Perry got let go from MSNBC, and that's supposed to be the liberal network when, in fact, they were just too black for <laughs> for them. So let's be honest here. The, the reason why we do the deal is because we're, we're two black dudes and we have other black folks on here from time to time and we have white folks on here too that are that are that have a real progressive bent who are willing to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's why we do the deal in the first place. So I hope people understand that and we keep continue to grow the audience and I'd like for people to continue to come here we, we try really hard we were in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago uh you know for the anniversary of the murder of George Floyd and uh, uh I'm working on a piece that'll be on the deal at, at some point a much longer piece because we talked to a lot of people there we want you to see that we want you to see like I said the guests that we bring on here that that can help illum- illuminate things a little bit more Val, I, I didn't, I should have set this up in the intro, but I did not. Uh, there was a Supreme Court case about voting in Alabama that surprised everybody, I believe. I, I went back and read some articles from 2022 early when the, when the court said they were going to hear this case about how the districts are drawn in Alabama. We already know that, you know, there's been a loss after loss in the Supreme Court over voting rights over the last few years. And nobody expected the Supreme Court to say Alabama's districts suck, right? That that these are racially gerrymandered districts. Uh first, tell me give it give us some background on the case and then what was your reaction when you realized that uh, uh Kavanaugh and Roberts sided with the progressives and upheld that the districts in uh, in Alabama suck. 
Well, well, first of all, I'm glad we're talking about Alabama because it gives me an opportunity to go back and correct something. I misspoke earlier and I talked about uh, Neshoba County, uh, Alabama, and actually we're talking about Mississippi. Uh, I said it right first and I, I misspoke the second time. So uh, I kind of got that confused with uh, Shel uh, Shelby V. Holder, which is in Alabama. It was the case that destroyed uh, the Voting Rights Act as far as I'm concerned. But in this particular case here, we're talking about uh, Shelby V. Holder uh, had to do with Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act, which once you take that out, Section 5 has no teeth. And the Voting Rights Act is destroyed. We used to call it uh, pre-clearance. You needed to have pre-clearance before you could do anything uh, involving voting as it related to uh, African-Americans in particular. Uh, so you didn't need, you don't need that now anymore. So people, the so legislatures can do what they want to do. In Section 2, it's a little different. Section 2 deal more with uh, gerrymandering and not so much with free clearance. So that's what this particular case was about, whether or not uh, lines were properly drawn in Alabama uh, without taking away the rights of uh, African-Americans to fairly exercise their uh, suffrage. So what happened, the Supreme Court, led by Roberts, and of all people, Kavanaugh, <laughs> joined the three liberals and said, no, I think the lines that have been drawn by the legislature in Alabama are not good. They're not correct. As a matter of fact, I read a little piece in there, Ed, that it said that maybe uh, another majority-minority district could be drawn. That reminded me of exactly what happened back in 1991 here in the good old North state of North Carolina. When we were trying to get one majority minority district and the Bush administration at that time says, I don't think so. I think you should have two. And in addition to the first district, we came up with the 12 that looked like a, a Lucian Island chain or whatever uh, in the Charlotte area that produced male Watt in that area. And Eva Clayton took over the first year. So that's what this reminded me of. So my warning to Democrats, progressives, and liberals in Alabama would be, don't cheer so soon or too loudly, because this could be a case of packing. And by that, we mean where you take all of the African-Americans in a particular state and you put them in one or two districts, meaning that they are packed away and they have no impact on the remaining districts where it could be a tight race between Republicans and Democrats and African-Americans could come in in sizable numbers and sway the election over to the Democratic side. That can't happen when you have been packed. So I think the progressive and liberals and Democrats in Alabama should uh, really take notice of that. And when the lines are redrawn, according to the court case decision, to make sure it, it is not packed to the extent that the other four districts are totally white forever and ever to come.
Yeah. You know, <clears throat> Alabama's interesting, you know, about almost uh, 30% of the population is African-American in Alabama. Uh, and they had pushed about 50% of all of all those people in one district. Right. And then they had, like you said, some little representation in the other districts. There's no way they can make an impact. So, so clearly it was, you know, by design, what they did uh, in terms of, uh, you know, gerrymandering their way into it. So, you know, here's a, here's a visual of that bell showing, you know, that one district where they had pushed all the black folks into, you know, I, here's the thing, you know, uh, the one person who had the most to say about it, the angry about it was your buddy, Clarence Hanky Head Thomas. Here's a clip about what he had to say. When Chief Justice Roberts worked in the Justice Department and White House Counsel's Office during the Reagan administration, documents show he was critical of the Voting Rights Act. But in his opinion Thursday, he said, quote, we find Alabama's new approach to Section 2 compelling, neither in theory nor in practice. Meanwhile, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote a 48-page dissent and called the case yet another installment in the disastrous misadventure of the court's voting rights jurisprudence. Well, the degree of self-loathing by this man is, is astonishing. I, 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 I try, I, I, don't, I don't hate him because I don't know him, right? I, I think he has something going on in his head that he knows that he received help to get where he is. And he wants to push this narrative that, you know, it's all hard work. George Bush clearly nominated him because he was colored and Thurgood Marshall had died. So they're going to put another Negro on there. And, and they picked the most odious Negro they could find, one who I believe sexually harassed Anita Hill and other women who came for it, one who uh has taken money and gifts and all kind of stuff to maintain a particular uh political position on the court and so on and so forth we've talked about this uh, uh clarence thomas a lot lately val here's the question so we can stop talking about them today because it, it gives me the willies whenever i talk about them. uh justice roberts knows that there needs to be some ethical checks on the court. Uh, all the justices know there need to be ethical checks on the court because if this was at a lower court, that judge probably wouldn't be on there, some of the stuff that Thomas has done. However, it leaves Thomas on the court because we also have this tradition here of not getting rid of justices on the Supreme Court, even when they're aged, even when they're crazy, even when they're corrupt or whatever, and there's only been one or two times when a justice has walked away because they knew the gig was up and they should leave. Here's, here's the question, Val. Will we ever reform the Supreme Court or is the Supreme Court always going to be the trump card? You see how I use that? It's always going to be the trump card of the Republicans who use it because they don't have real power out it amongst all the people. If you were actually to ask people what they thought about abortion and all these other stuff, it wouldn't be the Republicans' position, but they know they always have the Supreme Court that they can 
manipulate to their advantage. Will there ever be a time when we fix the Supreme Court? Well, it has to be a situation where all of the stars line up properly and all of the tumblers are in place. Everything has to be just right. And when I say everything, I'm talking about we need to have a sizable majority in the House. Democrats, progressives, and liberals need to have a sizable majority in the House. We need to have a filibuster-proof Senate, 60-plus. And I emphasize the plus because you don't want exactly 60 because anything could happen. And you need a White House with some guts. And I, I emphasize that, Ed, because back in 2009, we had 59% of the people in the House were Democrats. 60 people of the U.S. senators were caucusing with the Democratic Party. We had a Democrat in the White House who just happened to have been African-American. And we could have done anything we wanted to do, anything. And we didn't do it. First thing we did was run straight to the Republicans and ask them, do you think this is a good idea if we did this? Uh, What do we need to change about it to get you to come along so we can say it's bipartisan? Uh, What else do you want or need to be a part of this program. Republicans showed them how to do it. When you got the power, use it. So I go back to your original question. This is about the stars lining up and all the tumblers in place. Even if you have 59% and 60 senators and a, a, a Democratic White House, you got to have the gonads to use it and go in and change some laws to make, to change the number of uh, uh, associate justices that sit on the Supreme Court, change the law and make it be term limits for those that are there so that every president gets a chance to nominate somebody. Change the laws if you need to about to keep uh, guys like Mitch McConnell from deciding uh, uh, unilaterally what he wants the court to look like. You got to have the guts to do that even after you get the majority in the House, a filibuster-proof Senate, and a Democrat in the White House. After you do all of that, you got to have the guts to implement it, Ed. So now, having set the table for saying this is what you need to make things happen, uh, it's a tough road uh, ahead to hold. The yeah. uh, biggest problem I have with all of that that I've said is the Democrats, their pension for compromise and bipartisanship overrides getting things done for the people that put them in office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I do appreciate one thing you did do here, and I don't know if you caught it. You switched from guts to gonads because I was going to say nuts. They got to have some balls. They got to, they got to, they got to, you know, buck up. And and uh and you're more polite than me, so I, I I'll let you have that. Look, man, I'm looking at the clock, and I'm I'm seeing we're about to run out of time, but but the folks, I hope you understand what we tried to do here today. Is we gave a lot of airtime 
towards this Donald Trump thing because I think a lot of the coverage that I've seen, Val, has been all this, uh, he's innocent until proven guilty, whatever, which we all know, right? Because we all watch all the crime shows on TV. We know that, right? We know that all the court shows, that what you're supposed to say. Uh, however, I think it's clear in, in, in the people who, who want to be honest about this, no, he's he was never fit to be president in the first place. He he's likely in great engaged in criminal activity over and over again in the white house and outside the white house. Don't forget. He just got dinged for sexual assault. Not even a month ago. He's been held crim uh, not criminally, but, uh, 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 liable for paying, uh, Eugene Carroll for sexually assaulting her many years ago. And he couldn't even tell the difference between Eugene Carroll and his wife when they showed him a pitch. Clearly this man is not fit to be anything, but I'll leave it there. And then I also encourage folks to go out and read the Supreme Court decision or listen to the original oral arguments on this decision in Alabama. I know I'm a court nerd. And I do stuff like that. Val, I read these opinions and I listen to the oral arguments. I wish more people did that. So that's why we do this show, because we try to interpret some of that for you. Uh, in the meantime, Val, you need to tell me something you're working on, anything we need to know in the week coming up? Well, I don't know if I'm uh, jumping the gun here, but uh, there's going to be a legacy and leadership uh, type of conference uh, held somewhere in the triangle, I think in Raleigh, coming up pretty soon. And we'll be announcing the people who will be honored at that time. Uh, and and hopefully we can announce some of that right here on the deal. Right. Good enough. And uh, in the meantime, I'm going to try to not be uh, pessimistic about what's going to happen. Val keeps trying to uh, coach me not to get too excited about Trump being indicted. We've been talking look, Val, for the last five years about Donald Trump in an orange jumpsuit. And and he keeps showing up in court and he's still wearing a regular suit. So, uh, you know, I, I want the cuffs, the ankle bracelet, uh, being monitored, all of that stuff, but we still haven't gotten that. So I guess I have to wait on that. Anyway, folks. Uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a productive week. Tell people about the deal. Uh, Val and I put a lot into this. Uh, we, we do it, you know, because we believe it's the right thing to do. So tell somebody else. But in the meantime, go out and do something good for somebody today. And in the meantime, come back in another week and join us for another edition of the deal. All right. Bye.